This is Docs Outside the Box, episode 32. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Protect yourself against life setbacks with Set for Life Insurance. Set for Life Insurance gets you disability and life insurance at a reduced cost with their exclusive discounts. Now that's why I use them. Visit www.setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. What's good, everyone? This is D Doc Outside the Box, Dr. Nee Darko, host of Docs Outside the Box podcast, often imitated, never duplicated. And this is a podcast where I'm bringing stories of ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things, all in an effort to inspire docs like you. That's right, those who are listening, you who's listening right now to live outside the box. And before we get into our next episode, I got to got to read a five-star review off of Apple Podcasts. Once again, everyone, thank you very much for leaving me reviews on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Become Unlimited, and it's titled The Podcast for Anyone Who Wants to Be More Successful, and it's five stars. Thank you very much. And it says, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, physician assistant, teacher, accountant, or businessman. You will find something in this podcast that will make you more successful. From daily motivation to taking strides toward financial stability, success, this podcast covers it all. Thank you, Dr. Nidarko, for producing excellence. Continue to knock it out of the park. Well, doctor, or excuse me, I don't even know if you're a doctor, but Become Unlimited, thank you very much for leaving me that review. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you're a listener. Um, I'm glad that you took a moment out to leave a review, particularly a five-star review. And as you all know, I will read reviews that are less than five stars. I will review, I will uh, put out and uh, read reviews that are more, that are five stars. You can't go more than five. But like I said, Apple Podcasts and other reviews are very important because they help the show to move up the rankings and they help the show to become that much more viewable to new users. And obviously the show will continue to grow that way. But let's get on with the show. So our next guest is going to talk about things to do when you've kind of maxed out your current stock market portfolio. And I'm talking about stocks and bonds and you know ways in which you can get yourself to be a little bit more diversified and, and almost hedge your bets when downturns occur. So most would say, most studies show that the market is going to crash or hit a downturn about every eight years, which means actually right now we are probably due, we're actually overdue for a, a crash, right? The last uh, crash was 2008. It's 2017, almost 2018. So we're a little bit overdue. My next guest is Dr. Kenyon Meadows, who's a practicing radiation oncologist. And he actually says he has a lot to say about this situation. So he says, obviously, that, you know, we can't do anything about market crashes that occur, right? Particularly market crashes that occur when you're in your 70s, and then you have to end up pushing your retirement further into your 70s, which can be a very difficult situation, which is what he saw with with colleagues, you know, obviously being as diversified as possible is is helpful. But 
he talks about ways in which you can hedge your bets by investing in things such as alternative assets. Now, alternative assets are things like peer-to-peer lending, which is very big right now, real estate, student loan investing. These are just things just to name a few, but these are the things that he's talking about. Sometimes some people may even say alternative assets are things like, you know, collectibles, collecting artwork, wine, you know, whatever is is considered valuable that is um, not, you know, specifically stocks and bonds, that's an, an alternative asset. But he is the author of the book, Alternative Financial Medicine, High Yield Investing in a Low Yield World. And he has been making the podcast rounds. He's been making, you know, uh, rounds on different various media. And I thought that his story, as well as what he talks about, is something that you all can learn about. Okay. Um, He's been featured in numerous media, including MSN Money, Alternative Investment Coach, as well as the very famous, the very popular podcast, particularly among real estate investors, Bigger Pocket Podcasts. So just a brief background on Dr. Meadows. He is originally from Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, He went to college and medical school at the prestigious Case Western University and then decided to go down south to University of Florida and complete a residency in radiation oncology. And currently right now, he's been practicing for some time in Georgia. So things that we are going to talk about in this episode are, one, what's an alternative asset? Um, Other things that we're going to talk about are his top two tips for success with online crowdfunding sites, such as peer-to-peer lending sites and other crowdfunding real estate sites, which are really big right now. You're going to learn what peer-to-peer lending is. And then I'm going to get a chance to ask him a tough question where I take him through a scenario and he gives his advice to a newly minted general surgeon who has literally about $200,000 in student loan debt, but has a pretty good salary. And I want to hear what his advice is for this newly minted surgeon, if he would suggest to him or her, if they should still do alternative investing and alternative assets. He also gives some advice to pre-med students, which I think is always valuable. And always at the end, he's going to answer hashtag, I'm not just a doc. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. We are back live and direct with another episode of Docs Outside the Box. Today, I got Dr. Kenyon Meadows, MD, author of Alternative Financial Medicine, High Yield Investing in a Low Yield World. Dr. Meadows, what's up? Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, Nee. Hey, man, it's good to have you on. I know you've been making the podcast kind of roundup, and uh, you've been pushing your book and pushing everything that you are um, all about, and I'm excited to have you on the show. So, uh, hey, look, before we get started on the nitty-gritty, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? For example, like tell us what med school you went to, the residency, and so forth. Okay, well, sure. Um, I grew up in uh, Northeast Ohio. Uh, go Cavs, uh, Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> they about to get uh, swept. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but uh, and I went to uh, undergrad and med school at Case Western. Okay, all right. And then uh, did residency in radiation oncology down at University of Florida, Gainesville. And uh, after a brief stint, uh, first job in Alabama, have been. Over in southeast um, Georgia, St. Simon's Island area, for the last eight years. Dang, I've never heard of that. Where, where exactly is that? Is that like, is that like Tybee Island or something like that, or am I way off? 
Well, not not too far off. Um, okay. I, the easiest thing I tell people is, you know, you, you're on I-95 there along the coast, and you got Savannah, and you got Jacksonville, Florida, and we're like dead in between there on the mm. coast. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. Mm. So you practice radiation oncology. Correct. Taking care of cancer patients. That's what's up. Yep. Okay. Yes, indeed. Now, um, you currently, are you practicing full-time? I am. I am okay. practicing full-time. Okay. Now, the thing that I wanted to, the reason why I wanted you on the show, the reason why, um, you know, you're here is, you know, on Docs Outside the Box, we talk about stories. We try to inspire the audience on various things. The biggest thing is, you know, the things that you're doing outside of, of clinical medicine. Obviously, with you, the big thing is alternative assets. So can you tell us exactly what does alternative assets mean? Yeah, well, it's a very broad term. Um, So alternative assets really are anything other than uh, traditional investments like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, CDs, money markets, you know, the kind of things I think that we've all been exposed to. So consequently, you know, it can range from anything from uh, real estate to collectibles to wine. I mean, so it's it's a very, very broad term. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So when you say real estate, you're talking about like actually owning property and renting it out. Is that what you mean? Well, uh, yes. I mean, I think that's conceptually, I think most people can kind of understand that, although there's many other ways to participate in real estate uh, other other than owning physical property. And I actually have gravitated to some of those uh, other methods because they're, they're less time intensive and uh, and they can still you know provide a nice return. Um, things like you know real estate crowdfunding or uh, investing in mortgage notes, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Okay. So yeah. Okay. All right. Now look, I mean, you're a radiation oncologist. You're busy. You practice full time. Mm-hmm. And look, we all know none. Nobody gets any type of training on alternative assets, obviously, and definitely not on traditional stocks and bonds and index funds, all that stuff. How did you get into all of this stuff? Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, up until a few years ago, I think I would describe myself as a pretty um, typical type of investor, meaning, you know, I was, I, you know, did, a, did the 401k uh, and the retirement account type thing. And then what a lot of, you know, the other discretionary money that I had, I, I invested in things like mutual funds and, and some individual stocks and everything. And, and and didn't have a particular interest in um, financial education or investing, you know, above and beyond that. Mm. And then, you know, honestly, you know, the the 2008 market downturn uh, happened, and you know, I, I saw just how how that affected me. You know, seeing how much you know wealth and money just sort of evaporate pretty quickly, right? So that ha- that that had a <laughs> that's got to be a- painful, man. I'm, and I'm not laughing. I'm just like <laughs> right. this has got to be painful because I started investing right. afterwards. Right. But I got to right. imagine what it's like for people like you or people who are in their 50s or 60s, and they are you know banking on this money being there and it's no longer there. And I think because of that, so many people, particularly in my generation and, and younger than that, they're scared to invest. You know. Well, well, you mentioned uh, how you mentioned fifties and sixties. Well, how about how about in their seventies? And this is actually one of the the little anecdotes I include uh, in the book. And this was a very inspirational moment. So I ran into uh, a, a colleague, mentor, really, really more of a, a mentor, sort of father figure to me. He was uh, in his early seventies and a general surgeon. And I ran into him in two thousand and ten, and he informed me that he had planned on retiring in 08, 
But because of the market downturn and he had, you know, he had been putting money in for years and years. So it cost him a lot of money to the, to the point where he wound up pushing his retirement back a little bit to let the market recover. So that was a huge thing for me right there mm-hmm. to kind of put a person to to it in terms of like, hey, you know, the stock market is great. You know, we know it's a it's a. It, it's a it's a vehicle for long term wealth, but we know it, it occasionally is going to have these really bad downturns. And you know, when you look at the one we had in '01, you know, after the tech bubble, and then you factor in the one you had in '08, you know, two relatively close like that. You know, from 2000 to 2010, the stock market was really pretty flat in terms of your actual returns for a full decade, you know. Mm, okay. And so, you know, that was like, hmm, you know, there's, there's got to be something else I can do besides just the stock market. I'm still going to participate in here, but but what are some other things? So, so you don't, you know, so don't want to put it on the end of your bed? Nothing like that? That don't work? No. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so that's another thing too, right? So the, the subtitle of the book is High Yield Investing in a Low Yield World. Right. You know, we know that, you know, we've had close to a decade now of really, really low interest rates. And so it's been hard to get any return on your money. And with inflation being, you know, usually 2 3%, yeah, man, put it underneath your mattress. It is it is shrinking. That's a recipe mm. for shrinkage. And even in <laughs> in certain bank in certain banks, right? I mean, if, yeah, if absolutely. The, the, the these money market accounts or even these regular savings accounts with you know percentages point zero, I mean, you're losing money compared exactly. to inflation, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So yeah, so you got it. You got to do something with it. And so you know, as usual, you know, when, when you when you take on a, a new a new thing in life where you're really going to devote some time and attention to it, you know, it's coming from a place of pain, right? <laughs> you know, right, so, right. so that's what really motivated me to start learning about some other things. Um, and that, that, that led me into all this, this whole world of alternative assets. Okay. So what was your first foray into this? Uh, so let me just, before we even get into alternative investing. So basically you've, you already got a 401k at this point, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. You, what about your student loan debt? How are you doing with that at that point? Yeah, you know, student loan debt, um, I, I really tackled that pretty aggressively uh, okay. after residency. So uh, I had a nice amount, um, but, you know, I really lived below my means for uh, three years or so out of, out, of re- out of residency. Righteous, righteous. I know about that life. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You know, apartment living and just, you know, taking that extra money and squirreling away towards that debt. The so, ramen, yeah, ramen that- noodle life. Yeah, man, on an attending salary. But, you know, I was used to it, so it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> right, right, right. So basically, you had all the traditional things kind of taken care of. You had like a good emergency fund. You yeah. had, uh, you know, I guess a majority of your student loans paid down and you had 401k savings that you were going towards. So now you're talking about what What was the first foray into alternative type of investing now? Yeah, the, the very first foray was, uh, was private mortgage lending. Okay. And I, I basically began to ask around my social circle, you know, anybody I could think of, you know, hey, you know, wh- how, do, how do you invest your money outside the stock market? How do you invest your money? So making the rounds and I finally ran into a gentleman uh, I met actually through church who mentioned that, you know, hey, I, I provide private funding for people who want to flip houses. And, you know, they will pay, you know, 12, 15 percent short term uh, interest on that kind of money. And and you also have the security of being the lien holder on that on that project, that house flip project. And he's like, you know, it's a nice way to, you know, earn a nice, attractive rate of interest and be protected 
um, you know, uh, while the house is being flipped. And so that was actually my very first alternative investment. Um, I got in with his, um, you know, his people that, that flipped houses and these are real pros. These are people that are doing, you know, 30, 40 flips a year. And, you know, they, they got it down almost like a science. And so they're very reliable. And, you know, once I learned about, you know, Hey, how do you, what's a typical loan term? You know, what's the paperwork? What do you look for in a, in a person to handle a rehab and all that? So that's, that was the very first thing. How'd you do financially with that? Um, very, very good. Um, so like, as I mentioned, uh, the returns on that can easily be, you know, double digit type returns. Um, and you typically structure it as a, as a monthly interest only payment while the project is getting, uh, rehabbed and everything. And then once it sells, you get your initial capital back. And so, and And if there's any, go ahead. So, so this is something that you are, you are directly, in a relationship with some somebody who is trying to flip a house, like you were making a contract directly with them, or were you going through a um, a third party or a mediator? Uh, actually, uh, f- uh, you know, directly, directly, one on one on one kind of deal. Okay. Yes. Right. So, and that, and that's a point I should bring up. You know, that took a little bit of a time investment in terms of re- number one, learning about this, and then number two, really vetting the person that you're going to be a financial partner with. Okay. Okay. And that's the part that that can get a little tricky with, you know, how busy physicians are and everything, you know, that's, that's the rub is the time and, and, and honestly the interest to do it. But, but I was motivated too. And, uh, it's been a very good long-term partnership. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then, so after you went from private mortgage lending, after you shorted that up and you're Mm -hmm. still doing that currently right now, that's correct. Yes. Okay. What, what was the next step after that? Or what was the next set of assets you went into after that? Well, um, as, as, as sort of luck or timing would have it, uh, so that, that was back in 13 when I started doing the, the private mortgage lending. And that was also about the time when some of the first real estate crowdfunding sites really began to gain any sort of profile. And a lot of real estate crowdfunding is essentially private mortgage lending, but in an online format where you can participate in doing these types of loans with much smaller amounts of money. And since I'd been doing it uh, in the offline world, I, it, was a, it was a natural no-brainer for me to try out some of these uh, crowdfunding sites. Mm. So as it turns out, I've, I've been an early adopter on, on those sites and have done dozens of projects there as well. So I know, obviously, none of them are sponsoring this show. If you, hey, right. show, if if you guys want to sponsor the show, contact me. But can you right. name some? Can you name some of these websites or some of the the uh, the companies that you are working with online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Realty Shares is uh, the one that I've done the most uh, volume with. Okay. Um, there's Patch of Land is another uh, very prominent one, and Realty Mogul. Uh, those are those are at least three. I'm on I'm on about ten different sites, but those are the the three that I think I've been on the longest, and 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 they're and they're kind of industry leaders in terms of size and and number of projects that they've done. So in in that realm, are you basically, um, in a sense, you're giving money to the company, mm-hmm. they're showing you a project, mm-hmm. and you and a bunch of other internet users are basically putting in all of your money into one project mm-hmm. in, in a sense, does that decrease the risk? Yeah. You know, okay. so w- one of the barriers to physicians doing private mortgage lending is, you know, number one, finding an individual person uh, out in the quote unquote real world to work with. And then number two, 
uh, you know, physicians make good income and everything, you know, you have to be willing to write a check for, you know, high five figures, six figures to provide the funding on a typical house flip. So there's a big capital commitment. Sure. So, so the real estate crowdfunding is nice in that, you know, the minimums to participate are much, much less, you know, a thousand, five thousand dollars, you know, and you can you can spread that out amongst multiple projects. Mm. So I, I think it's I think it's kind of a tailor made asset class uh, for high net worth individuals that want some exposure to private lending, um, but they have some you know want some convenience to it as well. Okay, all right. Yeah. And how how have the returns been within that realm? Uh, very comparable. Um, in the in the earlier years, when there weren't as many people, weren't as many investors, the platforms were offering more generous interest rates, uh, sometimes in the fourteen percent range, uh, to get people to participate. And as more and more people have gotten comfortable with it, and they have more investors willing to do it, the interest rates have come down a bit, but you can still get nine to eleven percent easily. On that's your better, money. That's better mm-hmm. than my savings account right now. Oh, <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. And, and are we talking about this on like a yearly basis or are we talking about this like over a certain amount of years? Like, Yeah, you know? well, well, you know, so there, there's two there's two flavors of uh, of, of projects on there. there. There is equity, right, where you actually could buy a fractional piece of ownership uh, typically in a, in a multifamily uh, like apartment building or some other kind of commercial project. Now, the, the time horizons for those are multiple years. They're, you're expected to be a partial owner. Mm-hmm. And, I haven't, and I haven't done that. I've, stick, I've stuck strictly with debt deals and, because that's what I was doing uh, you know, before crowdfunding came along. So the debt deals are very typically like six to 18-month durations. And again, these are, these are like fix-and-flip type projects. So they're they're by their very nature they're short term. So those returns that I'm quoting are on an annual basis. And again, say for instance, you know, say you put ten thousand bucks on a project and it pays twelve percent. So you would you would get like a hundred bucks a month ACH into your account, you know, every month like clockwork. And then when the project completes and it finishes and sells, you get your ten grand back. Mm, sign yeah. me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so before I start asking you about your book, I just want to ask you a quick yeah. question. So for those who are listening to the show, those who are saying, hey, look, this sounds like this is for me. I want to go to so-and-so website and I want to crowdfund um, within the real estate uh, world. Um, what are some tips that you have for people? Give me like your top two tips that you think people should be looking for to find like the right project where you think they're going to maximize the likelihood of them getting a good return. Well, you know, one of the things that you are you're dependent on is basically the underwriting or, or due diligence of the platform in terms of vetting the people on the other side that are bringing the deals there. Now, one of the things that all of the platforms harp on is the fact that hey, if you see a deal listed on here to to, to invest in, trust me, we've gone over this thing with a fine tooth comb. The people who uh, the entrepreneurs who are doing these projects. They have to have a, a long track record. Uh, they can't just like you know being on a crowdfund platform can't be their first or second deal. You know we gotta we gotta have looked them over, and they gotta have several successful deals in the past. So that's number one. Um, number two, I tend to go with the platforms that have been around the longest, and this is a relatively new asset class, but you can you can see uh, some of the platforms that I named. 
they've been in the game already for at least three to four years, which is a, which is about as long as you can be in it. Mm, and you can right. see the platform's track record. Like, hey, we we've done you know. 90 deals to this point and we've only had like one go bad you know that kind of deal so i'm i'm certainly want to more gravitate towards those platforms that have those types of track records and the number two and then, i'm sorry and the number three the last thing is you know when, whenever there are projects that are in particularly you know really hot markets where you know the real estate prices are you know honestly a little insane miami like a, san francisco it, new york exactly so you like that new york accent at the end <laughs> <laughs> so i i love san francisco brooklyn you know places where you know you know the prices are really high the wild, and you wild know west that, man it, yeah and you know there's going to be a market for somebody to buy that so i whenever i see a project in a place like that i, I tend to uh to, to gravitate towards that too Got you, got you. Mm-hmm. Now, your book, it's called the Alternative well, it's called Alternative Financial Medicine, High Yield Investing in a Low Yield World. So it came out this year. Am I correct? It came out on February yep. two thousand seventeen. Yes. What prompted you to write this book? Well, you know, basically, uh, <laughs> evangelizing people kind of one-on-one and, and trying to, you know, tell colleagues, uh, you know, associates about some of the stuff that I was in, you know, there, there was some genuine interest and I said, well, you know, maybe I should write a book about this. Um, I think that'd be a way to potentially, you know, get the word out, um, be seen as a little bit of an authority to it. And honestly, a little bit of a bucket listing in general for me to, to write a book, you know, just for that, that general life accomplishment thing. So, that, those are the big factors, yeah. No, I got to admit, I haven't read the book myself, but it uh-huh. is on my list. It's on my Kindle list on Amazon for me to read, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Um, but definitely on one of the intros it talks about is peer-to-peer lending and mm-hmm. peer-to-business lending. And can you talk more about like, what exactly is peer-to-peer lending? Like, Explain that to us because I'm having a hard time understanding. I'm trying to figure out how is, how is it that you're going to make money from that. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, the most a big chunk of the book is basically on what we call alternative online lending, and there's three main flavors of it. There's the real estate piece that we just covered, okay. and then there's there's business lending, and then there's essentially consumer lending. Okay, and that's what and that's what peer to peer is. So to draw parallels from the real estate world, the peer to peer platforms, you know, they're they're again they're trying to find investors who got some extra capital they want to deploy, and on the other end of it, instead of a real estate project, it's usually somebody who's got some high interest credit card debt that they're looking to refinance down. So when you look at it, the like, average- I mean, you you actually see this on the website, like they tell you this is the description of the person, or. Correct. You can see really? that person. You can see that person's uh, credit score. You can see that person's income. You can see uh, whether they own their home or not. You can, you know, so and and basically, what they're what most of them are looking to do about seventy percent of the peer to peer loan volume. Again, what you're doing, you're refinancing out somebody's credit card debt. So the average credit card interest rate in this uh, in this country is about uh, 17-18%, right? And then you and me, we've got money sitting in our savings account earning 1%. Right. So when you so when you look at that that's a tremendous kind of arbitrage between the two, right? So what the peer-to-peer sites do is say, look, what if what if we could offer you like 7 to 10% on your money as a return to the investor? And then at the same time, bring down that 17, 18% for the credit card person 
down to you know nine percent and save them a bunch of money. That's what peer-to-peer lending is in essence. Gotcha. Okay. Now yeah. I'm assuming the risk. I'm excuse me. I'm assuming the the yield is high or the interest is high mainly because the risk is high. Well, yeah, you know. So ultimately, these are unsecured loans, okay? Okay. All right. And so you know, you, you have that default risk. So what the platform does is. You know, you if you want to, you can get very granular and look at all the individual people you want to lend to and scrutinize their credit scores and income and all that kind of stuff. But the platform, what they do is they look at all that stuff and they basically assign a letter grade to that person representing their credit risk on an A through I think it's actually an A through G schedule. And so the <laughs> so they so you can get even worse than an F. So the A so the A rated people they get the lower interest rates and then the G rated people they get the 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 higher interest rates. But, you know, people's appetite for risk varies tremendously and I know people that um, invest in the highest uh, risk loans, um, and I know people who invest in the in the in the lowest. And I'm kind of I, I tend to stay kind of more toward the the lower risk. But yeah, I've been doing that for uh, I think about about three years or so on the peer to peer, and so, with, with returns of about seven to eight percent over that so, time. So overall, like I, I I'm listening to all the different. Yeah. options that you're giving me like from real estate it's a crowdfunding board, <laughs> it's a smorgasbord but i just it just consistently sounds like you're just on you're winning with that in comparison to traditional investing is there a situation where you would always where you would tell someone like look you may want to just go the alternative route as compared to the traditional route or is it always just kind of shore up everything traditionally and then kind of move on if you want to into the alternative route yeah i mean for, for me uh, the, the alternative route in general is going to be actually where the bulk of like my discretionary money is going to go. But, but, but I should clarify that in that out of all the different things that I'm doing, um, the, the physical ownership of, of rental property is actually it's kind of the cornerstone of everything. Because ultimately, the online stuff, while it's worked out great, and I think that uh, it's going to continue to do very well as these asset classes mature and, and kind of get into people's consciousness. Uh, you can't replace, in my mind, you know, from a risk and return standpoint, actually owning the asset, you know, mm. y- yourself. Right. So, so rental property is the bedrock of everything. But the but the but the private mortgage lending, you know, the offline private mortgage lending, as it were, that's kind of the second biggest thing. And then all the alternative lending that's online based, it, it's a nice you know chunk as well. But but it's it's never going to be the cornerstone because you know I, I think that it is it is risky. But but the, but I've been doing it for a few years now, and I've been pretty pleased with the way things have worked out. Since you brought up risk, yeah, <laughs> you stepped into it. So um, yeah, I'm going to ask you, what are some big mistakes that you see people make? Give us like I don't know if you can the top three mistakes you you see people make when they get into alternative investing. Well, it's kind of a that's a that's a big question. So no, on the online stuff. You've got to be very, very diversified, meaning the amount of money that you put in any one particular deal, I would actually stick with the investment minimums, okay? Mm, so okay. say, for instance, on a crowdfund deal, that might be one to 5000 bucks. On a peer-to-peer lending situation, the platform is very explicit, like, hey, 
25 bucks to any individual person. So even if you've got like, you know, a few thousand you want to deploy, you know, do it over several hundred loans. And and there's enough volume on the platform to do that. And they make it really easy to do. So I would never get overly concentrated um, when it comes to an online lending platform, number number one, okay? Mm -hmm. And then number two, I think you, you, you ought to be pretty knowledgeable about things, meaning, say for instance, well, What's going to happen on a, on a crowdfunding deal that goes bad, okay? Do you know about what the foreclosure and recovery process, like what does it look like? How long does it take? You know, how likely are you to get your money back? You know, I think you need to, you need to be keenly aware uh, of what the risks are and how the process is going to play out when a deal doesn't go so well. So, and, and just to put a number on it, you know, I've done like 36 real estate crowdfunding um, uh, deals thus far, and three of them are in some various stage of the foreclosure process. So I knew that that was a possibility, and but I also know that it's actually a pretty high probability that we'll get the money back, but it's just going to take a process for these guys to repossess it and sell it and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so three out of 36, that's not bad, though. No, it's not bad at all. It's actually not bad at all. And again, when you're when you're the first position uh, lender, meaning like you have the senior um, lien or senior claim on the asset, the recovery rate is actually really, really high in real estate. So, you know, I'm, I'm very confident that I will get my money back. It's just going to take a little time. And you got to mm. know that kind of stuff going in. Got you. Got yeah. You. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to I want to throw a scenario at you. you. You game? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to I want to know what you would do in this situation. So let's let's take, for example, you got a 32 year old female. She's let's keep it medical. She's status post <laughs> some shop talk. She's status post graduating from a general surgery residency, right? She's got two hundred K in debt, which is probably a little low compared to what people are actually graduating with, right? Mm-hmm. That debt is between let's just say five to nine percent interest, right? Mm-hmm. She's got a job that's going to be paying her coming out of residency three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. She doesn't have any retirement savings. And she's scared of the stock market, so she doesn't have any. Um, she doesn't have a Roth IRA. She has no savings whatsoever, mm-hmm. and um, she's literally putting her money, stashing her money in a let's just say a regular bank account, making you know less than inflation. Let's leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had this female right in front of you, this uh, general surgeon right in front of you, would you recommend her getting into alternative assets? If not, what kind of recommendations would you make for her? Yeah, well, and, and actually, in terms of like your your actual numbers, these actually aren't that dissimilar from my my status coming out of training a decade ago. I had about 187 in loan debt back then, mm. and yeah, I, I think I had uh, rates as high as eight percent. So I'll tell you what I did, and then I'll tell you what I would do now, having learned a lot more. All right, cool. So so, so what I did was attack the student loan debt, and I think I contributed. You know, I, and I was an employed. I was an employed uh, uh, doc, so you know, I contributed the max to the four hundred one k and got the employer match and that kind of thing. So I did do that, okay. And pretty much everything else was 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 a vigorous payment toward the student loan debt. And uh, I wasn't scared of the stock market, but I, again, I just I just made the conscious decision that I wasn't going to invest uh, traditional assets or alternative assets. It was all about debt retirement. Now, right. what I would do now. Okay, is I would engage one of these alternative lenders, not as an investor, but as a potential client, um, such as a company like SoFi or Common Bond or something like that. And I would have them refinance my student loan debt 
using investors like myself to do it and get all of my student loan debt at 5% or less. And I actually would pay on that um, at, at a more relaxed, leisurely pace once I refinanced it down. I would take then the that money and I would do the, the 401k. But in actuality, any extra money that I had, I actually would start to contribute to trying to buy some uh, physical rental property or do some uh, do some private lending. Actually, really, I, I actually would. Yes, really? because if I can get my student loan debt at five percent and I can make twelve percent or something like that, I would do that actually and leisurely pay off the student loan debt and start to accumulate like some assets and experience with the uh, alternative investing if i started doing that back then i'd be you know i would actually be you know much further along dang i thought i had you stumped on that question i was like i got him on this one i bet no. you're not gonna say <laughs> <laughs> no. and, and, and honestly okay. and, I, and i know that 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 answer you know may not be what a lot of people are uh, would expect. But one thing I've come to appreciate from talking to a lot of people, you know, folks appetite for risk, their comfort level with carrying large amounts of debt and everything. It's all it's all variable. Right. And 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 one of the things that I found, though, from talking to a lot of, uh, you know, very wealthy individuals outside of medicine uh, that are you know much wealthier than any practicing doctor will ever be, um, they, they are comfortable carrying debt that's performing. Very comfortable. And I just uh, that that's a that's a mindset change for I think a lot of us. Well, that's the reason why you're on docs outside the box, (laughs) because obviously you're not you're not comfortable being in a traditional format. So I appreciate you giving me giving us that answer. Mm -hmm. It's very honest and and it's true. And I, I, I really appreciate that answer. Now, if if we had let's take an opportunity to kind of pivot a little bit. Mm hmm. And uh, take a maybe more of a thirty thousand foot view on you, Dr. Yeah. Meadows. So let me ask you a question: What do you find more rewarding? Do you find, you know, being a doctor or being an investor? What What do you find more rewarding? And be honest, please. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I. I. Again. I came into this uh, out of out of uh, trying to solve a problem, right? And and the problem wasn't dissatisfaction with 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 my job right so okay. i i really enjoy being a physician and i i intend to be that you know in a full-time capacity going forward the the thing that i find most enjoyable about the investing piece of things is that you know on honesty it's a it's kind of a peace of mind kind of thing meaning that if for whatever reason you know something happened on the job front or or you know my attitude did change and I, and I wanted to step away from it and, and whatnot like I have something else that I know could could really number one you know at least pay the bills and and it is interesting and consume my time and 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 that kind of thing so it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of more of a peace of mind kind of thing I uh, and I don't find myself so worried about things anymore so that's been the most enjoyable thing about learning about this uh this finance and investing piece it's actually been kind of liberating and and it's actually lowered my sort of overall stress level you know okay that that's what's up i, I like that answer it's a really good answer mm-hmm. so your your work outside of clinical medicine let's say <clears throat> How much you actually earn from what you're doing and what you're mm-hmm. making outside of clinical medicine? Is there any comparison to actually what you're doing traditionally, what you're doing in the hospital? Well, I would describe it as a as a significant supplement at this point. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's the kind of thing that you know, like if I had to live on it, say for instance, like you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be bad, but it's it would certainly be not a replacement for for my current. Uh, med- medical income, and over time, though I do want it to continue to grow, and so um, 
you know, so maybe one day it, it can uh, supplant that. And, you know, honestly, if I if I had more time, which is always the most precious commodity, um, I can make that happen a little more rapidly. But I'm, I'm content to to keep it as, uh, as 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 a side vocation. Got you. Got you. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting towards the end of the interview, and I just want to throw at you some really quick, fast questions. You don't have to think much about it. It's just what comes off the top of the dome piece. You game? Yeah, absolutely. Ready to do this? Let's do this. All right, so what's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast? I want them to know that it's it's possible to get a great feeling of liberation through financial education. Uh, it's possible and that you never have to settle for uh, low, uncertain returns. Mm, love it. Love it. What can the audience expect from you in the next five years? Uh, they can expect for me to continue to put out content uh, and try to educate folks with alternative assets and to continue to grow and explore other ones besides the ones that I mentioned in the book. Okay. So listen, this is a little bit different, but uh, I heard on Bigger Pockets. Is this true, man? Did you used to rock a Gumby? <laughs> Uh, I did. I did. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I came of age uh, during a time, you know, like Bobby Brown was really big back in the day. And Every I, little step yeah, he takes. Exactly. Right. Man. So, yeah, man. <laughs> so, wait, did you watch that new edition special on BET? Yes, I did. <laughs> man, you know, you should send me the picture of you rocking a Gumby. I'll put no, it on the never, uh, podcast man. picture. I'll no? never do no? that. No way. <laughs> Well, look, um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you've given yourself or given to yourself as a pre-med student? Um, you know, pick pick a pick a career in medicine uh, that, that you truly love, although be mindful of the fact that uh, your 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 time commitment um, and 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 other interests in your life will 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 blossom. Well, actually, let, me, let me say that differently. Pick something that you love, recognizing that down the road there may be some other things that you want to do, and and picking a specialty that allows you to have a little bit of flexibility in that regard can can be very helpful. Mm, I think that's a that answer is so true. I think mm. some people get so caught up on trying to you know beat everybody else and have the best residency that they can, but don't really take into effect or take into um, thought, you know, what the time constraints would be and what your social life would be and all those different things that you never really think about. And you come mm-hmm. back and may smack you in the head later on in life, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> well, Dr. Meadows, I want you to finish this sentence for me. It's a sentence that I present to all of my guests. It's a hashtag. It's I'm not just a doc. And some of my guests have answered so many different various answers. Some people say Dr. Panur. Some people say world traveler. So to you, Dr. Meadows, I present to you, I'm not just a doc. I'm a uh, loving husband and devoted father. That's what's up. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. Excellent answer. Well, Dr. Meadows, I want to say thank you very much for being on the show. Um, I know you got a busy schedule. And um, I really appreciate you dropping knowledge on this show. I think the audience is definitely going to learn a lot from what you have to offer. So well, Absolutely. And I just encourage folks, if they want to learn more about all of this stuff, uh, to go over to alternativefinancialmedicine.com. Uh, they can get a sample chapter of the book by signing up to my email list. And uh, we've got several interviews with uh, heads of various online platforms where you can uh, – you know, hear from the hear from the the folks themselves that run these businesses. You know how it works and and what to expect. We'll drop that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. 
Dr. Meadows, thanks for being on the show. We got to do it again, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on the show. And that's a wrap. Man, Dr. Meadows is lucky I don't have that picture of him rocking a Gumby. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. This was a really good one. Um, you never know. I think it's um, it's something to listen to. It's something to really take heed to. And I think no matter how diversified you are, it's always important to understand all the different options that are available to you. As you already know, with me on my previous episodes, I am a huge fan of passive investing with index funds. But also at the same time, I'm a big proponent of being as diversified as possible. So, you know, me, myself, I may take a listen to what he has to say. I may take a look at the book and see if there's something else that I may need to get into. I've always been interested in real estate uh, investing. Um, and, um, you know, I may be interested in maybe some of the other alternative assets that he may be talking about. So you guys may want to take a look at that. Also, with the caveat, please make sure you talk to a professional financial advisor um, before you go ahead and do so. OK, please, if you want to learn more about Dr. Kenyon Meadows, be sure to check him out at alternativefinancialmedicine.com and his book is called Alternative Financial Medicine, High Yield Investing in Low Yield World. Link will be in the show notes. Remember, y'all, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and show some love. Share this episode with other people who you know aren't aren't listening to the show, with other people who you know would benefit from this show. And you know what? Go ahead and tweet it out also. I would really, really appreciate it, though. What I would really, really want is if you can go ahead and after the show, go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Once again, that really helps the show to grow. As the show moves up the rankings, it's that much easier for more listeners and more followers to to get a hold of the show and listen, as well as it makes it easier to get more guests. And look, listen, I'm going to catch you on the next episode. But before we jet, remember, we only got one life. Let's make it count and live outside the box. Peace.